Hi, this is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Health Show. To The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. Tammy Finney is a survivor of not only many years of drug addiction, but also an attempted suicide. For many years, Tammy found herself in the pits of despair chasing a drug called meth. At 14 years old, Tammy was introduced to meth. For the next 17 years, she was succumbed to the darkness that controlled her life. After years of self-hate, eight rehabs, twice to prison, and an attempted suicide, Tammy surrendered her life to the Lord while living in the homeless shelter at Carr P. Collins Salvation Army. Tammy made the decision to be uncomfortable for a while when she uprooted her life and planted it in a city she knew nothing about, Dallas, Texas. One night, she cried out to the Lord and said, God, I don't know how to trust you. I don't know what your plan looks like. But if you open the door, I'll do whatever it takes to walk through it. Since the heartfelt prayer, God has continued to open doors, and Tammy has kept her promise to walk through them. Tammy has since completed her licensed chemical dependency counselor requirements, graduated from Eastfield College with an Associates of Arts degree, and is currently pursuing her bachelor's in social work at Texas A&M University Commerce. Tammy will graduate with honors in December of 2019 and will begin her master's in January 2020. Tammy also spends her time giving back. She attends an outreach ministry on Friday nights where she speaks to clients of the Salvation Army to hopefully shine some light in their darkness. She serves on the board at Carpe Collins Salvation Army as an advisory council member. Tammy will celebrate seven years of sobriety in December 2019. Hi, this is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Help Show. Series three, The History of Mental Health in America, episode eight, Mental Health and Suicide, The Face Behind It All. Who is suicide? So this month, we have an amazing guest. And when I mean amazing, like phenomenal woman, okay? My, Maya Angela, okay? That's a black woman, but <laughs> woman. Um, her name is Tammy Finney. What makes Tammy so amazing? Um, she is a survivor of suicide. And I met Tammy um, in the study abroad program in Costa Rica. And so I truly believe the guy that we serve, he doesn't make any mistakes. And it was a reason why she was my roommate. And she shared her story with me, which I'm going to let her tell the story, so I'm not going to, you know, spoil it. But I was just so amazed. Someone as beautiful as she is, inside and out. Because I think sometimes people think it's just the outer shell. It's that inner shell as well. And so she shared her story with me when we were in Costa Rica. And I told her, you have to be on my show for, for next month. You have to be. And so she agreed. And, and so I kid after she's here. <laughs> and so I am going to let her introduce herself. Um, we're going to start this, um, this podcast off with, with amazing information, but also to understand what, what causes somebody to want to have suicide ideation to commit suicide. And so her story is absolutely amazing. So we're going to kind of start off by asking, by not asking, but telling the audience about yourself and a little bit of a history, you know, about yourself and your story. 
Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Nyetta, for inviting me to come share and bring awareness to such a powerful issue as suicide. Like so many people are dealing with this issue and haven't found a way out. And so I thank you again for inviting me to come do such an amazing topic. Um, so again, my name is Tammy Finney. Um, I am seven years clean and sober in December. Um, but it always wasn't like that. Um, my mom and dad split up when I was three years old. And as women, <laughs> we need a father role in our life. And I think that there's not a relationship any stronger than a father and a daughter bond. But when that's gone, you start to reach out for other things to try to fill that void mm -hmm. as far as your dad not being there. He was there physically, but we as women are emotional creatures. Right. Um, so I needed... Um, the emotional stimulation from my dad, which I did not get. Um, I grew up with a lot of secrets in our family. Right. I, I lived a very secretive life. Um, so at a very early age, I learned how to kind of make things look good on the outside mm. while the inside was just tearing apart. And I learned how to do that very well. Mm. Um, when I was 12 years old, I was introduced to marijuana. Okay. And, you know, I had one, 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 one good friend um, that knew about my family secrets and somebody that I could actually confide in and get close to. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends because of our family secret. Mm. And I couldn't have people over. I couldn't go to other people's houses because of the fear of this secret being exposed. Okay. Um, but I did have one friend and I was very close to her. Okay. And the first time that she... Um, had told me that she smoked marijuana. I was livid. I was like, we were always going to not do that. We were going <laughs> to not ever do drugs. And um, out of fear of losing that friendship, out of a little bit of peer pressure, um, it was only a matter of weeks before I was smoking marijuana oh, wow. as well. Um, so like I said, I didn't want to lose the one person that was close to me. And I felt, mm. you know, early adolescent, you feel like if you don't conform to Absolutely. friends going around you, um, that you'll lose all that. I do have a question and you don't have to answer it, but have you ever told this family secret? Yes. To a years later. Okay. <laughs> years, years later. Um, my mom was dating a married man mm. for many, many years okay. after her and my dad split. Okay. And his wife was actually a teacher. Oh. Mm. So, you know, you couldn't really, you couldn't really expose. I love my mom and we, as even as children, no matter what you do to your kids, they're going to love you regardless. Absolutely. absolutely. And I would have never put my mom in a situation to expose her because that's my mom. Absolutely. And I love her. Um, but at the same time, it was hard on my sister and myself because we lived a very secretive life. Okay. You know? um, so anyway, that was years later. Okay. Uh, we, we talked about it. Um, we moved when I was um, right at freshman in high school. We moved to a different town. So that was another hard experience. Right. Grew up, I left my best friend, the only one I ever knew. Absolutely. Moved into a new town, and I just immediately fell in the wrong crowd. Oh. Long time, mm. and when I was 14 years old, a friend of mine's dad um, mm. put a needle in my arm for the very first time oh, with wow. methamphetamine. Oh wow! And you know, 
I always go back and say this, that people mainly struggling with substance abuse, they always have one issue in their life that they have to go back and identify. And it's that one issue that more than likely is the same reason they keep getting tripped up with substance abuse. Absolutely. So after years of trying to identify what my one issue is, okay. um, it may seem so simple, but yet it put me in a world spin for so many years. I always felt like I was not good enough. Mm. I wasn't a good enough friend. I wasn't mm. a good enough sister. I wasn't a good enough daughter. I wasn't a good student. I was a barrel racer growing up. I didn't, I wasn't good enough at that. I just wasn't good enough. Mm. And I held on to that and it affected every aspect of my life. Mm. And when I found methamphetamine, it was a downhill spiral mm. from there. Meth is the devil. <laughs> I believe it you. takes your pride, your dignity, your self-respect, everything. It just takes it all away from you. So the question I have for you, when you were 14 and he put the needle, how was that the meth he put in your? And so from 14 on to seven years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you were on meth for since you were 14. Wow. So I had parents that tried to give, get me help. Absolutely. Um, they put me in and out of rehabs since I was 14 years old. Um, okay. I've been through eight rehabs. Um, I've been to a substance abuse felony prison twice and I've been to prison. Okay. Um, but back up a little bit when I was, um, we'll fast forward to when I was 19. Okay. So we're going to go to 19 now. Okay. When I was 19, I, I got married okay. into um, a pretty toxic relationship. Married. Um, relationships will get you tripped up as well. Trust me, I know. Girl, I know, child. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, and you know, it drugs were in the beginning. Drugs mm. were in it throughout just the whole process. Mm. And, you know, as, as close... This, this man gave me the emotional stimulation that I had been missing all my life. So I found the one thing I was needing, but I didn't pay attention to all the other destruction Absolutely. that was going around. And I didn't pay attention to it. Mm. Um, I stayed in this marriage for the next 15 years. Oh, wow. And um, very much getting high most of the time, just escaping that one issue still, yeah. um, just not being good enough. Mm. Um, when I was 26... Fast forward a little bit more. Okay. I caught my first charge um, of prescription fraud. Okay. So I had gotten a hold of a prescription pad and I was just decided I was going to write my own scripts and it was Dr. Finney. Dr. Finney. <laughs> I was going to do it. And I did it for a little bit, but you know, what's done in the dark will reveal itself in the light. Always, <laughs> always. And uh, yeah. so I eventually got caught for that and okay. arrested. And how long did it take you to get caught? Just curious. Uh, not about a couple months, probably, and that's it. I got real greedy and decided to go to the same <laughs> the same town that I stole the script pad in, okay. right across the street from the police okay. station. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're not in your right mind. <laughs> okay, so okay. now I'm going to move forward. Okay. Um, so right after that, I was placed on probation. Okay. Um, for ten years, deferred probation. Okay. You know. Being a drug addict, um, you're still human. Yeah, absolutely. You still feel. Yeah. You still feel guilt. You still feel shame. At this time in my life, 
the rest of my family had pushed themselves away from me. Um, They didn't want nothing to do with me. (laughs) I was, you know, had lied to them so many times. I had basically pushed them away as well. They just didn't know what to do anymore. They spent thousands and thousands of dollars in and out of rehab, and they just didn't know what to do anymore. And, you know, as addicts, this is what we do to the people that love us the most. We we hurt them. Push them away, and we hurt them. Absolutely. But I still felt all that. I still felt ashamed. I still felt guilty. And you put up with that for so long, and it starts to wear on you. And I'd gotten to a point where I just couldn't take it anymore. I was tired of the pain. I just wanted to get away from it all. And the drugs were to the point to where it just didn't mask the pain anymore. Mm. Um, so I'm going to fast forward to April 6th. Okay. So I have one question. Yeah, so you, okay. So what, so you were taking prescription. Mm-hmm. What else? What, what? Methamphetamine. Met, and what else? Marijuana. Uh, marijuana. Not so much marijuana anymore. Just something that was just something if nothing else was there but it was mainly opiates okay so yeah. opiates no crack anything no. like okay I was just curious. no no no, <laughs> no i tried heroin one time but thank god i didn't like that <laughs> i injected heroin and that didn't work out well but i was addicted addicted to prescription pills which is basically the same, same yeah same thing but so. not a liquid form okay yep so fast forward all right so we're going to go to april 6th okay of 2009 Okay. April 6th of 2009, I had been gone out on a binge for five or six days. Um, I had left my husband once again okay. um, at the time. Um, but I had ended up at a hotel room. I li- I'm from a town called Van. It's okay. near Tyler, Texas. Okay. Went to school in Hawkins, Jarvis. Yeah, Hawkins, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my husband is actually, my husband now, he's actually from Hawkins. Okay. Um, but I had ended up in a hotel room. A friend of, of mine had come and picked me up from... Um, basically the trap house I was in okay. um, and took me to a hotel so I could sleep hmm. for a while. I had been up for days. Um, and there's, I have a question. Yeah. How many days have you, because I'm curious, what's the longest you ever been up? Like oh, a week? Girl, can you, can, are you serious? <laughs> With no sleep? With no sleep. No sleep. Probably about, I'd say 11 to 13 days. Oh, wow. And you can't, you can't do that. No, you're probably delirious. <laughs> yeah, then. You are delirious. When oh. you go, I mean, you don't even have to be on drugs to lose enough sleep that you start to go delirious. And then you add methamphetamine on top of that. Absolutely. And it's just, it's the devil. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. So, so I have been up at this time for about five or six days. Okay. Um, so I went to the hotel and he dropped me off and I, I went into the room and I slept for several hours. Okay. But there's something about waking up after you've been on a binge for a while and all that guilt and shame just comes barreling down on top of you. And you think of everything that you just did. You think of your family not wanting to be around you anymore. You think about the person that you are and how much of a failure you feel like. This is what was going on through my head. And I just got to a point to where I couldn't do it. I couldn't deal with the voices inside of my head that told me I was never going to amount to anything. Mm. I was never going to be enough. Mm. So I come out of the room and I just started walking. Mm. The hotel room that I was at, their Interstate 20 ran right beside it. And I just took off walking. There was a bridge that uh, went over I-20. And I just started walking up to that bridge. Mm. 
the whole time I was walking up to that bridge, the whole thing I kept hearing in my mind was, you're never going to be enough. Mm. You're always going to be a failure. Mm. You don't deserve to be here. Mm. Those are just the things that go on in your head. And, you know, you listen to yourself long enough. You believe it. You believe it. Absolutely. And I absolutely believe that with mm. all my heart that I just wasn't ever going to amount to anything. And I thought I had hurt so many people. I wanted to be to a place where I didn't hurt myself and I didn't want to hurt anybody else anymore. And I thought that the only way I could do that was just to not be here anymore. In all reality, I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to go away. And I, the drugs, like I said, had gotten to a point to where it, it didn't help anymore. It didn't mask the pain. It was still there. I could get high and still feel the pain. Mm. Um, so I walked up to that bridge and I looked it over. I looked over the side. I looked at the oncoming traffic and I just stepped up on the side of the ledge and I jumped. Oh. I don't remember. I don't remember anything after that. Um, I woke up, finally come to realization in the hospital about three days later um where it, my memory finally kicked back in and so what so was it ongoing traffic there was uh, this is uh, this is i-20 so the picture of course it made the front newspaper <laughs> um and of course they're not going to show my body of, but uh, the picture was the two semi trucks that were coming directly at me it was the two trucks that they took the picture of. Oh, um, wow. I didn't want to die. Huh. I just didn't want to feel anything. Mm. Um, so when I woke up in the hospital, I was so mad. Huh. I was mad, girl. I was mad. I was just like, I can't even kill myself right. <laughs> so, and it sounds, I know, it, I get <laughs> I get that response oh, of everybody. Like, I can't kill myself but right. I can't even kill myself right. That's how mad I was because I was so sick and tired mm. of feeling this way. Mm. Um, but there is a God. Absolutely. And I would lie if I say that my addiction stopped after this incident because it didn't. Sometimes it takes us longer than others. Absolutely. Um, so now they're just feeding me full of a bunch of pain pills because I shattered both legs. Mm. I've got six rod or i'm sorry two rods six plates and 37 screws in my right leg oh, wow. two plates and 17 screws in my left leg and i lost 80 percent vision out of my left eye from a pave from hitting the pavement so hard oh man so you know it didn't stop after that hmm. um probation mind you i was still on probation right um, they came and talked to me while i was in the hospital and they were like Can you they ruthless they were like we come we still come to see you <laughs> it was like you should be dead right Absolutely. We want to help you, but you're going to have to do some things you don't want to do. Mm. Um, one of those, so when I was able to walk again, they wanted me to go to a place um, called Safety. Okay. And what that is, is a substance abuse felony prison. Okay. So it's pretty much prison, but they're doing substance abuse therapy inside. Okay. Um, as a stipulation of my probation. Okay. So after about six months, uh, in a wheel, I was non-weight bearing on both legs for six months, so I was in a wheelchair. Um, but about two weeks after I got up on crutches, I went and turned myself in to okay. the county jail, um, where I went before the judge, mm -hmm. and she sentenced me to the safety, which is a six-month program. Okay. So I went there, did the six-month program. They want you to do um, 
an outpatient deal when you come out, and that was the Salvation Army. Okay. So I went there for the next 90 days. Okay. Um, while I was there, I was introduced to a program called New Day Outreach. Okay. And it was a pastor that worked at the Salvation Army, but he took um, clients out of the Salvation Army, mm -hmm. took us to a church uh, called Park Cities here in Dallas, and fed us chicken and just kind of spoke life into us. Mm. Um, had people that's been through a similar situations or hard situations and had them speak to us just about, you know what, you've been through some things, but you can make it through it. Mm. And although I was hearing in my ears what I needed to be hearing, I wasn't hearing in my heart what I needed to hear. Yeah. Mind you, I was still married. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got done with the 90-day program. This mm -hmm. is this is so important, especially if you're struggling with drug addiction. You cannot try to be sober with other people in your vicinity who are using. Absolutely. I went back to a husband who was still using. Mm. And although I wanted to be sober, and <laughs> although I tried, <laughs> you just can't. It just you just don't work like that. Somebody once told me you go to a barber shop enough times you're going to get a haircut. <laughs> 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 okay, cut my hair. Yeah. Mm. So you go surround yourself in that environment long yes. enough, you're going to start using again. And it was about a year later. Mm. And I had was popping pills, needles stuck back in my arms. Mm. Um, and it was only a matter of time before I went before uh, probation, filled yep. a UA. Yep. And they revoked my probation and sent me to prison. How long did you spend in prison? Um, they gave me a six-year sentence. So altogether, I did about two years. Okay. But the another stipulation of my parole okay. was to go back through the safety program. Right. <laughs> so. And leave the husband and give her to him. Well, I, okay. So that's a very good point. I was still married okay. at this time. So they send me back to Salvation <laughs> Back to Salvation Because you know what? You're going to keep going around that mountain until you get it right. Right. <laughs> So they sent me back to the Salvation Army, mm -hmm. and this time I entered, was introduced or went back to the New Day program as well as as well as doing uh, the therapy in the Salvation Army. But not only did I start listening with my ears, I started listening with my heart, mm -hmm. and I made some of the toughest decisions I've ever made in my life. Mm -hmm. And but I always tell people some of the hardest decisions you'll ever make right. are some of the best decisions that you'll ever make. Absolutely. Um, I decided not to go back to East Texas. Okay. Um, I prayed about it. I got real with God. Like, hey. <laughs> I said, you know what? Not some powerful prayer. I really didn't even know how to talk to God, to be honest with you. But I was uh -huh. like, I'm going to be real with you, God. <laughs> and I was standing in a room in the Salvation Army. And I closed my eyes and I held out my hands. And I said, I don't know what trusting you looks like. Huh. I don't know what this road looks like. Huh. But I'm telling you now, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And if you open up a door, I'll do whatever it takes to walk through it. And you know, be careful when you get real with God <laughs> because sometimes he's going to open up doors that you necessarily don't want to do. Absolutely. And he opened up a door and it was not going home. It was going right across the hallway to the homeless shelter when I got out. And that's what I did. And I stayed at the Salvation Army for a year altogether, so mm. three months in the uh, substance abuse program, mm. and then a year, um, in so fifteen months altogether, a year in the substance or in the homeless shelter. 
You know, they say you don't change until you really get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I, I think that statement is, is, it is true. I know for a fact when you want your life to change, when you want things to change around you, you have to really get fed up and say, okay, when you got to the point, like, God, what do you want me to do? Okay, you win. My hands are up. Okay, <laughs> what's up? What's up, Lord? And so I, I get that. You know, it's like career, relationships, um, just life in general. When you get to a point when you're just beyond tired, you can't take any more, then I think when you become into a place of silence, then you can listen. So, question. So, at that time, in 2009, before all this has happened, so you, if if you could change anything, would you change anything? I know that's a crazy question to ask. Like, come on, Nayeta, <laughs> me committing suicide, really? What kind of question is that? Very true, though. But, at that time, what do you think you could do differently? And if you could change what has happened, would you change it? I know that's like a crazy question, but... Because I think, honestly, I'm kind of answering for you, but I'm not. You wouldn't be who you exactly. are if you didn't experience that. And sometimes I think pain is the best lesson in life. I'm sorry to say that. I know you guys are no, like, that was crazy. No, no, you were absolutely right. The way a person changes is when they go through enough pain in their life yeah. that they decide enough is enough. Period. Absolutely. Period. Yeah. So what would I have done differently? And I'm speaking to this as of somebody who is going through a situation similar or their own situation. Okay. Reach out. Talk to somebody. There's always, look, God's going to put somebody in your life that you can talk to. Really, he is. Absolutely. I just wanted, went into protection mode of who I was, of who my family was, and I didn't reach out. There were opportunities for me to talk, and I didn't. All the times I went through rehab, none of that got talked about. None right. of it. Huh. It was just kind of like a protection mode. I hold on to it and not disclose any of it. Right. I should have talked about it. I should have opened up a little bit more. I shouldn't have been afraid of exposing everybody. I should have looked deeper within myself and say, hey, you deserve to be happy. Yeah. You know, people going through, the, going through thoughts of suicide, you deserve to be happy. Right. You do. Um would I change it? That's a hard question. It really is. Um, I think that we go through things for a reason. I think that I wouldn't be able to offer the support and encouragement um, that I can now if I hadn't have gone through what I had. Mm -hmm. I think it's true. I, I think that um, sometimes like my friend that committed suicide, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for Layton. I'm sorry. And sometimes, like, you have to be in a place of vulnerability. And vulnerability hurts. It hurts. It sucks. <laughs> I'm telling you. More than people Especially if you're a very strong-willed person. Vulnerability it's like it's not a good place to be at, but I think it's you have to be that. You have to be in that place in order for you to really, truly share um, um, your experience. And and I think that without Layden leaving, you know, him harming himself, not committing suicide, I wouldn't be at a place where I am to fight 
for those that cannot fight for themselves, for those that are, that go through this kind of stuff. It affects us when someone harms himself. It affects us when you have a family member that tries to harm himself or kills himself. It's a long-lasting effect that I think people don't understand. Like, it's not the point of you being selfish. You got to think of others, you know? And I and I think that with Layden, what happened, I'm going to continue to keep fighting for those that cannot speak for themselves. I'm going to be an advocate for mental health. Yes. I'm not going to stop. I will not stop. I refuse to stop. Because there's so many people out here that need help that some people just didn't, they weren't kind to them. It doesn't cost that much to be kind no, to someone. You're so right. <laughs> it doesn't cost that much to listen to someone. You know, I try my best not to abandon people. You never know what's going on in somebody. Like, people are quick to say, oh, I need my space, or, oh, I'm not dealing. You don't know what that person is dealing with. You don't know what's going on in that person's life. You know, so I need to get teary-eyed over here. We do. Uh, I love your passion. I do. Over here, I'm over here crying like a little baby. And somebody stole my chicken wing. <laughs> so let me get together over here. So I want you to tell the audience how you have changed your life oh. and what you were involved now. This is the real testimony. Okay. <laughs> so let me start with this point. Okay. Mind you, I was still married. Okay. When I decided to uproot my life, okay. uproot. Let me let me clarify. Uproot. <laughs> uproot. <laughs> uproot. It's okay. When I became willing to be uncomfortable for a little bit, because it's outside of your comfort zone that you find out exactly who you are. When I decided to stay at the Salvation Army and do something different, my whole world changed. Not only did I live at the Salvation Army, but I also filed for my divorce while living at the Salvation Army. And I'm and look, I'm gonna put it this way. I know what the Bible says about divorce. I do. Right. But I also want to point out something very important. What the Bible says is that what God brings together, hmm. no man can separate. Hmm. And I'm gonna say that one more time, just for those that need to hear it one more time. Hmm. <laughs> what God brings together. No man can separate. Do you really, really think that God is going to bring together a toxic relationship, yeah. a drug-induced relationship, yeah. something that's harmful? The Bible also says a plan to prosper, not to harm. Mm. So if you think about that, it kind of gives you a better clarity and understanding that, you know what, maybe this marriage I put together instead of listening to what the Lord had for me. You're going to have me shouting over here. I'm trying to be professional. <laughs> <laughs> you have me do a shout. Hallelujah. It was when the Holy Spirit dropped that in my spirit. Mm. The time I was living in the Salvation Army as a homeless person yeah. and going through a divorce. Mm. That I was like, okay, it's not something that he brought together. It's something that I did myself. Because sometimes we go outside of God's will. Yeah. Sometimes we make things happen on our own. Mm. And that amazing. <laughs> happened on my own okay so fast forward a little bit lived at the salvation army a year um came out of there with my first uh, apartment key all by myself so okay. i'd never done that before that okay. was an experience okay mind you I had been around people for the last couple of years so the first night by myself was just a little scary experience okay i wasn't used to the silence right the silence before used to 
um, taunt me, basically. Mm. But this time, the silence was peaceful. Was to heal you. Yes. Yes. Mm. Peaceful. Mm. Peaceful. So, um, oh, I should have mentioned this part. So when I lived at the set before I left, well, I was in the Salvation Army is when I started my college education. So I was living in the Salvation I, Army. I was wondering. Oh, you were, so, okay. So I'm sorry. I'm so That's sorry. important. That's important. Very, yeah. So back up a little bit before I left. Um, while I was in the Salvation Army, um, I started my college education. I, if anybody knows Dallas, you know the train system. You know the public <laughs> transportation. So I used to go run out of the Salvation Army, go jump on the little green line, and take myself to Brookhaven is where I first started. Okay. And that's with your, what, your first degree? Your LC Okay, so I started with my LCDC, which okay. is Licensed Chemical Dependency Council. That's okay. what I wanted to do. Okay. So associates. So, well, it's it's a certification before I went to the associates. Okay. So I started with that. Okay. I had to do kind of part-time because I had some other obligations as far as parole and all that other good stuff. Okay. So I got through my first semester, and it was a 4.0 GPA. Ooh. And I was like, okay, maybe that was just first time, you know. <laughs> I'm not, I hated school back, back in the day. So I get through the second semester. Okay. Which then I went back or went back full time. Okay. And it was a 4.0 GPA. Ooh. I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm smart. Okay. I'm so smart. So it, okay. I so forgot this part. While I was still living at the Salvation Army, I was able to get, God put it in my life to have a little car. Okay. And it was just some little 96. And this is such a powerful, powerful part of my testimony. This little 96 Camry, it was a little brown car, nothing fancy. Uh -huh. The third week I had it, somebody hit my front door. It was totally my fault. I didn't know Dallas yet, and I uh -huh. turned. Anyway, so I was able to find a junk, a wrecking yard, okay. and I found a red door. A red door. So I had a brown car. With a red with door. With a red door. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> But that brown car and red door was just my piece of heaven hmm. outside of the Salvation Army. I'd go sit in the parking lot of the Salvation Army in that car, roll the windows. It had a radio and it had air conditioning. Okay, that's all that matters, uh, I mean, especially in Texas. <laughs> so Whew. I would roll those windows up and I'd turn the car on and I'd make my own little classroom inside my car. <laughs> okay. And I would write papers mm. and I would study for tests mm. and I would study for exams mm. and midterms. And by the time that one ended, I, I completed it with a 4.0 GPA. Oh, wow. It was just amazing. It was just uh, amazing the things that God put there. Mm. And I utilized the, the, the tools that he put in front of me. To make made, your peace. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, okay, so that was an important part. So, we'll fast forward to when we, when I got the apartment. And okay. I moved in on my own, and I still kept, stayed connected with New Day. Okay. Still very much a part of that today. Um because it's important to give back. Absolutely. Um, transferred over to Eastfield, which is here in Mesquite. Okay. Finished my LCDC. So at the end of my LCDC, I had to do a practicum. Okay. An internship. Yeah. So guess where I go to do it? What did you go do it? At the Salvation You know what I mean? You know, I know you did. You're like, I'm back. I'm back. Don't you see me? So the day I walked back in there, no longer a client, yes. no longer a resident, Absolutely. But as a professional. How powerful is that? Oh, girl, I was working along the same counselors that counseled me. Absolutely. Amazing. That experience. is powerful. Powerful. Very powerful. Speaking in to people that were in my shoes Man. just a year or so you like, I know what you're going through. Yeah. Trust me. I know the noise. You, you like, do I need to show you the picture? <laughs> Dang. 
that didn't show you what I just went through. It was oh, powerful. Wow. Such a powerful, powerful moment. Um, got through with the internship, went in to start my associates um, at Eastfield. Okay. A couple months later, I get a phone call from Salvation Army. Okay. Hey, uh, United Way, who we know who United Way is, Absolutely. a major contributor of many organizations, nonprofit organizations around. Um, they're having a um, their annual luncheon, and okay. they want representatives from each of the organizations, nonprofits that they contribute to. Salvation Army wanted me to be their representative. Okay. I was like, okay, well, this is pretty cool. We've never done anything like this before. Okay. And I'm telling you this because this is the way God takes you from the bottom to the top. Mm. Go and be the representative is an amazing experience. I'm so grateful for it. Go home, still working on my studies. So a couple months later, get another call from okay. the Salvation Army. Hey, now the Salvation Army is having our annual luncheon. Okay. We want to know if uh, you can come and we want to feature your story. Huh. I was like, okay, well, I was thinking it's going to be the same thing. Oh, no. They had it at the Hilton Anatoly. Okay. And I walk in, and it's this big, beautiful ballroom mm. with over a 1,000 people in it. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, wow. What if I just walked into it? <laughs> like a stadium like full a of stadium. people. <laughs> so I sit there, and they do the presentation, and they feature my story, the mm. amazing video that we had worked up. One of the ladies from the Salvation Army put together. It was amazing. She showed the video. And then afterwards, they call me up on stage mm. to recognize. And they give me this <laughs> the biggest bouquet of flowers I've ever seen in my life. Oh, wow. Each stem, I kid you not, each stem had its own water compartment. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about it. It's a mess. It was so beautiful. But I walk up on stage, and I receive these flowers. And Nyetta, the most amazing thing happened afterwards. Mm. I turned around to just glance and everybody in the whole ballroom is standing in a standing ovation. Mm. And all I could think about was, oh, because I got so lucky. Oh, man. Look at God. Mm. Now, when I tell you who was all here at this at this luncheon, uh -huh. I'm talking T.D. Jakes. Jakes. I saw that, yeah. I'm talking... Laura Bush. Okay. I'm talking Jerry Jones's wife. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, it's all these big people mm. that now I did not know that until afterwards, <laughs> but this is what I found out. Such an amazing, such an amazing experience. I'm Sounds so like glad it. that I got to, to do that. Fast forward a little bit. Um, at this time, go ahead. So, you finished, you so you finished one license. Your LC, LCDC. L LCDC. Mm -hmm. Now you're in your associate's program, correct? Yes. So you finish your associate's program. Yep. So now you're moving into your, we're going to move it forward yep. into your bachelor's program yes. at Texas A&M yeah. Commerce. Woo, woo. <laughs> what, what's that? What, we're supposed to make a noise and put a... <laughs> I don't know you do <laughs> <laughs> so you're at the bachelor's program at Texas A&M Commerce, yes. getting your license, I mean, getting your um, degree in social work. Social work. Very good. Yay! Social work, yay! yay! We need more of it. We, we do, we do. <laughs> and so now you're almost complete. So how long has this been, it, this time of education and, and moving forward and and com being and completing these different assignments? How long has this been now? Oh, since, the, since just the... Social work? Or, I mean, just uh, from the school beginning. From the school beginning. Oh, so that started in 2015. Okay. So this is now 2019. 19. And, and in you, December. You graduate. Ah, 
graduate. So excited. And she just got um, accepted to. I just applied for. Well, she just. I'm sorry. I'm already here. <laughs> she she applied for grad school, which I'm super excited yes, about. Start in January. So. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited yes. for you. Yes. So you have pretty much revamped your yeah. whole life. Yeah. I think this is beyond amazing. <laughs> I think this is a very powerful story. Um, it lets you know that your life is worth it all. Yeah. Not, you know, when you think you're not appreciated, just imagine how many people missed you yeah. or how many people wouldn't even get to know you. Yeah. She's amazing. She was my, she was my, <laughs> my roommate in Costa Rica. Like she was an amazing, very humble. This story that you've shared with me, I would never thought in a million years. <laughs> That's why it's so important not to judge people, That's not right. to be judgmental. You don't know what someone is going through. You don't going through or been through or going through right now. That's right. You know, we live in a society where people are always outside looking in. You know, I, I wish people, if we could see the inside of a person, I think the world would be a little different. Oh, because you see people on the outer skirt, oh, how many muscles they have or <laughs> how long their hair is or how beautiful they are. But are they actually really, really happy? Absolutely. You know, and so and, and I so and so I say this to say like, don't judge people. You you don't know, and you should take the time to listen to people and be kind to people. You know, that's the message that I would tell everybody that I said on the first episode when myself and Sin Kwa, that used to be my co-host, um, we we spoke um, to Layton's mother, oh, and. It was his mother and his sister. And that was very hard. His mother's very, very strong woman. Very. When I look at Layden's mom, I see Layden without the mole. I'm so serious. I'm just like, oh, my God. Twins. His sister, Kenyatta, she just couldn't do it because it was, it was still early. Yes. But, the, but his mother, um, one thing she could say is be kind. See, Layden was bullied. Mm. See, Layden was a gay black male. So he had every strike against him that you could think. He was black. He was gay. You know, lived in Texas. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying. And so um, he was bullied for a very long time. And so the reason that I continue to spread awareness, because before this happened with the Layton situation, um, I knew nothing really, I, nothing about uh, mental health. And no matter how much education I had, that wasn't, that, that wasn't in, in my life. I, I didn't, I it's like, it's not that I couldn't identify. I didn't know how to identify it. And so when you don't talk about these type of topics, how can you identify? Because you can't. When you don't know what suicide ideation, suicide, you don't know what bipolar, schizophrenic, or the signs, you don't know how to identify. So how can you help someone? You know, and then after you, if you, let's say that you do identify the signs, now where do you, how do they get help? So how do they access resources in their community? This is why the help show is here. This is why I do what I do all the time. This month will be 94 episodes. And I do this oh, with pride and I do this with <laughs> very strategically. <laughs> and I did this all while I was in, in graduate school. And I didn't miss a beat because this is my passion. This is what I love. This is what I'm for. This is my journey. This is my mission. This is kind of who Nyetta is. And so I, I want to say... Um, Man, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to interview with The Help Show and letting people hear your story, that they're not alone. 
and there's help out there for them. Um, do you off 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 the top of your head, if you can remember, if you can't, not judging. <laughs> do you know how to get to the Salvation Army information if someone is needing help? Or fifty three zero two Harry Hines girl. See fifty three zero two Harry Hines. What about the website? The, you could go to salvationarmy.org. org. Okay, you go there. They have help with VA, homelessness, okay. substance yeah. abuse, domestic violence. Yes, big, 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 big. Um, you know, there's so there's so much help out there. There really is. You just you just have to want it. You gotta know? be open. Yeah, you <laughs> gotta be. You gotta be. Get to the place where you're just done dealing with the same old thing. You want to just do something. Be willing to be uncomfortable for a little bit. Just for a little bit. It's, it doesn't take long. It's just for a little bit. It's enough to move outside of your comfort zone and to get somewhere different. That sounds like advice. That's like a good advice. Yeah. Be willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Be willing. Be willing to. I like that. Let's shake on that. Yeah, be willing. Ah! <laughs> well, Tammy, thank you so much for um, interviewing with The Help Show. And hey, guys, please stay tuned. So, Carrie, yeah. what did you think about the discussion? What did you think about Phasing Behind Suicide? And, and how did this the two interviews it change your life? Yeah. Well, both of our guests were so valuable and the perspectives that, that they gave. And one of the things that I think about that Ryan talked about was how it's so important to not dismiss people and to not um, minimalize or try to box their emotional pain or experience, put them as weak, you know, and sort of box them that they're just wanting attention because, you know, we all want and need attention. And it's significant to never underestimate where somebody's at. And I think that that carries over to our other guest, Tammy. Absolutely, who, absolutely. How she got overlooked. Absolutely. And her needs got overlooked at a very young age. Yeah. And it led her to actually acting out that attempt. Absolutely. And so they really complemented each other very well. And I'm hoping that the audience got that same effect. You know, I, I feel the same way, Carrie. Uh, I, I feel that he, I'm going to piggyback off of you uh -huh. with not dismissing people's emotions and feelings. And if if someone is, a, a cry of help is is acting out. Yeah. You know, when you see someone, if it's sexual behavior acting out, um, if it is emotional acting out, that's behavioral. It all coincides in one behavior, mm -hmm. sexual. Those are all type of behaviors with one acting out. You know, notice that if, if they're the reason, the question you should ask yourself why they're acting. Right. That is, people don't always have the words. They don't. To they can't articulate themselves. Absolutely. You, you know, they don't always know what's going on. Either. Absolutely. Some people don't know any other emotion besides anger mm -hmm. or hurt. Yeah. And so the only way they know how to say, help me, look at me, is to act out. Yeah. And so if you're thinking, if you say, hey, you know, they're faking or, or they just want attention, they do want attention. Mm -hmm. And so the question you should I ask, agree. yeah. So don't don't turn your face, don't turn your nose at that. I think you, in my opinion, um, you should kind of see why. You know that number that 
came up as you and Ryan were talking uh-huh. about the, the stadium and like yes. almost 50,000 people. Absolutely. That's a that's a lot of the people that, that's a you huge know, number. are, if we want to put them in that stereotype that are weak or that want attention, which that's yeah. not the case at all. I think it's very valid to say that the pain was so great that they wanted relief from it. Absolutely. And you know, I, you know, when he when he said that number, like when he this description was a football stadium, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm, it's it, a good visual. It's a great visual. And I'm thinking like, which football stadium? Jerry Jones football <laughs> stadium? <laughs> or high school? Particular with that. Or or, uh, or high school stadium? <laughs> which stadium? <laughs> but um, I, I really enjoyed um both of their interviews, like you mm-hmm. said. But you know, Tammy. Man, she showed me a lot. Like, what an inspiration! That that is an inspiration. You know, going back to you, her, you know, you were saying. Well, she was saying that her father was not there in an emotional perspective, mm-hmm. and I don't think, especially as women, it's so important to have that emotional contact with someone. Yeah, you know, um, being able to express your feelings, right. being able to endure that, because without that, that's what turned her. Mm-hmm. To not, I can't say turned her, but it kind of screwed her to the wrong type of people. Well, I think it made her more influential too, like yeah. easily to be influenced. Yeah, but then when she when when she was fourteen, her next door neighbor put the the needle in her. Mm-hmm. That's someone you trusted. That's right. You know. That's true. And then at twelve years old, she smoked the marijuana. So, I, you know, at the end of the day, she she still it was a type of cry of help. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, look at me. Hey, and then it, it was a spiral after the meth. She, you know, got into a bad relationship with her husband, 15 years of, you know, abuse and drugs. And and then with her... Uh, I think that the whole, it just gets deeper and deeper. I just And, you know, as you talk about, like, going back to, you know, Ryan's interview of, like, okay, well, what drugs, you know, influence huh. um, depression, right. which leads to suicide and stuff right. like that, what's right. worse. Well, yeah, you use these chemicals where it feels good at the time, like he was saying, the alcohol and the anxiety, yeah. and, and it has a, a positive effect initially, right. but it messes with the chemistry in our body. Absolutely. So then after, you know, that episode is over with or whatever effects you get from the drug or the alcohol, mm-hmm. then you find yourself in a worse place than when you even started. Right. And I think that's the, that's the cycle that Tammy got caught in and it just grew and grew and grew. But it grew and grew. It led her to the suicide. It, it did. It To me, it left her in more. It grew and grew and grew, but the pain got worse. Oh, yeah. And then after the pain got worse, she couldn't take the pain. Right. And she made a statement saying, I really didn't want to kill myself. I just wanted the pain. Oh, yeah. And so Ryan and I, we spoke about that. You know, a lot of the clients, they don't want to actually harm themselves. They just want the pain to go away. Yeah. You know, they say that having suicide ideation feels like bone cancer stage four cancer well stage four cancer mm-hmm. and so i can just imagine what that feels like because if you had stage four stage four cancer or any type of stage four cancer with chemo and all those things you know the pain that goes behind that i can imagine that you just want the pain to go away and people get to the point to where they are ready to to be released and to be absolutely to die because of that but what, what I found most um, amazing about the story 
is how she had the triumph, mm-hmm. the the turnaround, the standing ovation. Man, that she got through this. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I felt most the realization that she is. She is absolutely Tammy. You are enough, and there's plenty of Tammys out there. You, you guys, you are enough. Absolutely, man. I just feel like no one ever knows what someone's pain is. No one knows what someone's story is. But the way that she turned around, she got her associates, her chemical dependency license, um, went back to the Salvation Army where she was to be a counselor now. Now she's on the board. Um, She's finishing her bachelor's 2019 at Texas A&M Commerce. Woo-woo! Then she'll start, after she gets done with that, she's going to be into the master's program in January. She's unstoppable. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, Tammy had to be tired. Mm -hmm. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, then what? Yeah, change can happen. Man, change can happen. You just have, you have to have that endurance. Yeah. That that endurance for life. Yeah. It's so important. It is precious. And she had a great inspiration for her. It was finding God. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was a a powerful component for her because it was a place that she could just turn things over and be able to find that unconditional love, which we all need. Absolutely. That she found that in her Lord. And I think that that was really important for her and being able to have that strength and the inspiration for herself to, to keep trying and to keep striving to live. I, you know, I think they will. I think the same thing. You know, everybody has something that inspires them. Mm-hmm. So it may be the Lord with some people. Mm-hmm. It may not. It might be a mother That's or right. a father or some type of spiritual connection. Right. Let your inspiration be your inspiration because at the end of the day, life is value. We only have one. Yeah. You know, live, live it to your fullest. Absolutely. You know, we, we're not perfect. Are you perfect? Uh, absolutely not. So last time I checked, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not perfect. No, we're not of a star. Yeah. No one's Well, perfect. I will say that I am perfectly imperfect. Oh, okay. I like that one. High five, girl. I like that one. I'm perfectly imperfect. I'm going to yes. steal that. I'm okay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, So the interviews were... We're amazing. Mm-hmm. And I can't. They were affirming. They were insightful. Absolutely. And they were inspirational. And I'm hoping that the audience is able to get that too. It's definitely a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, if you or someone you know is in crisis, whether they are considering suicide or not, please call the toll free lifeline at 800 273 8255. That number again is 800 273 TALK to speak with a trained crisis counselor 24-7. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline connects you with the crisis center in the Lifeline network closest to your location. Your call will be answered by a trained crisis worker who will listen empathetically and without judgment. The crisis worker will work to ensure that you feel safe and help identify options and information about mental health. Crisis text line, Text NUMMY to 741-741. Oh, and your call is confidential and it's free. Connect with a trained crisis counselor to receive free 24-7 crisis support via text message. 
This podcast is produced by Anietta Reynolds and Davion Abney Music. To get your very own custom beats, email him at D-A-V-I-O-N-A-B-N-E-Y music at gmail.com. The Help Show is a nonprofit organization. To learn more or donate, please visit thehelpshow.org. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Help Show. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave your comments. We want to know what you think. Thank you for listening, and please stay tuned.